Welcome to Truth and Liberty. Thank you for joining our daily live call-in broadcast where trusted leaders bring biblical insights to the issues and you can call in and get your questions answered in real time. According to the Bible, it's the truth you know that sets you free. So call in today to get answers, information, and resources to help you stand for truth and effect godly change in our nation and the world. And now here's your host, Alex McFarland. Welcome to this very special edition of Truth and Liberty. Hi, Alex McFarland here. We've got a great show, and I'll introduce a very special guest in just a moment. But I want to begin with a word from the book of Psalms, from Psalm 100, one of my favorite psalms, and I, I learned it as a child. I think it was one of the very first scriptures that I ever knew. But it says in Psalm 100, Make a joyful noise unto the Lord, all ye lands. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come before his presence with singing. Know ye that the Lord, he is God. It is he that hath made us, and not we ourselves. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. Enter into his gates with thanksgiving and into his courts with praise. Be thankful unto him and bless his name, for the Lord is good. His mercy is everlasting, and His truth endureth to all generations. That's a very special psalm, and, you know, I felt like it was appropriate because the guest that we'll converse with tonight, and you'll have an opportunity to call and ask questions, um, uh, a guest that has established herself in many different fields, one of which is music, and maybe we'll talk about that. But Lauren Green is our guest tonight. She's a longtime religion and culture correspondent with Fox News. She leads the Lighthouse Faith podcast, and I want you to be aware of that. And if you've not listened to it before, check it out. It really is excellent. She's the author of Lighthouse Faith, a very good book, and then Light for Today, which is a 365-day devotional book, and that's quite an accomplishment to write an entire year of devotions. But uh, our family is very pleased to know her as not only a colleague in broadcasting and ministry, but as a personal friend. She's an amazing individual and an incredible journalist and insightful voice for our times. And she's our guest tonight on Truth and Liberty, Lauren Green. And I want to say, Lauren, thank you for making time to be with us tonight on Truth and Liberty. Oh, it's my pleasure. And I want to thank you for all the time you, you, you've given me to be on Lighthouse Faith Podcast and just being a friend, um, a friend in well, Christ. Thank you so much. Indeed, indeed. And folks, I'm going to give this number. Uh, later on, we will take calls in a few moments. The number, if you have a question for Lauren Green, or you want to enter into the discussion, the number is going to be 719-619-2341. Also, for spiritual help, if you hear something we talk about tonight and you, you just would like to pray with somebody or just need a listening ear and we'll do our best to give you counsel from God's Word, that number, if you want to call in, is 719-635-1111. But uh, again, Lauren, thanks for uh, being with us on Truth and Liberty. And, you know, you, you've had such a rich career in journalism and then as a Christian author and speaker yourself. But um, tell us a little bit about your journey. How did God lead you to the work that you do and... and um, I wonder this, as a young person, did you envision what you would do? And it, was this the traje trajectory you saw for yourself? No, in fact, I think that's a testament to God's patience, is that 
you have a mind, you have an idea of what you think you want to do when you were young, because you're part of a culture that says, sees things out there and says, so maybe I could do this, maybe I could do that. Um, but I don't think I really had a clear vision of what I really wanted to do until I began playing the piano and I thought I wanted to be a concert pianist. And so that was the driving force in my life. But um, earlier than that, I always want to give credit to my great aunt Rita, who was a real wonderful woman of faith. She taught Sunday school. She also taught, um, she was a teacher in, um, I'm not even sure if it was a public school, but it was kind of a one-room schoolhouse that she taught, you know, black children in the rural area. But she was just a mm. wonderful woman of faith. And she took under her wing, my sister and myself, uh, we were the two youngest of five children. We kind of came along, you know, I always say we're kind of oops, number three and four, you know, but you know, mm -hmm. parents go. But it's the idea is that she was just a strong woman of faith. And she taught us games that I later really learned to understand that there was a presence of God even in these games and how she talked to us. And she was just this strong woman of faith. But um, so I think I grew up in a culture that was steeped in the culture of Christianity. I mean, I mean, David W. Miller talks about how uh, people were just, you know, breathing the air of Christianity. It wasn't necessarily they were strong people of faith. So I believed in God, celebrated Christmas and Easter, went mm -hmm. to church and Sunday schools and Bible, um, and Bible vacation Bible schools. So all of those things were part of my my life. But I think. If there was a point where I understood that I was searching for something, really searching for God, is when I was about 17 or 18. And I remember asking the question to some friends one day. I said, you know, I wonder what is the question that answers every other question? You know, mm -hmm. that I understood there must be a question or there must be something that answers every other question. And what I understood now, I understand now, is that that was the heart searching for God, the real God, not mm -hmm. just sort of the information about God, but the heart that wanted to know God. And I thank God in his patience and his grace and his mercy said, OK, I'm going to show you, but it's going to take a while. And, it, and I think that's the journey of life. That's why this that's why this devotional is really about everyday life, because mm -hmm. some people do have revelations. Um, and praise God that that happens. I think it's wonderful and, and it's a it's a powerful testimony. Um, but but most of us are just working through our everyday lives. And to seek God mm -hmm. in the everyday is really the challenge for us all. So yeah. You know, Augustine, sixteen hundred years ago, said the heart is restless till it rests in Thee. Have yeah. you seen that in the people that you've interviewed and? the people that you've interacted with, Lauren? Absolutely. I mean, um, uh, J.K.A. Smith is another person that's been on um, the Lighthouse Faith podcast uh, a couple of times in his books. It's so He's so powerful, but he is a great follower of uh, St. Augustine, and he wrote a book um, um, about, and I forgot the name of the book, but, you know, go on <laughs> to J.K.A. Smith. And he is yeah. a professor. He is a uh, wonderful author, and he understood Augustine or St. Augustine or Augustine, you know, everybody has a different way to pronounce it. It's like you're Catholic, you pronounce it this way. If you're Protestant, you pronounce it this way. But yeah, Augustine is this great figure of someone who, who had this walk of faith and understood that there was a deeper need than information about God, that we had to really know God and that there was a God-shaped hole in every heart that needed to be filled. And so, yes, that is in the people that I've interviewed, especially J.K.A. Smith, because we re really went down deep 
and understanding um, St. Augustine and understanding what is, um, how powerful um, a testimony he has um, because he came from a way of life that disputed even the existence of God. He disputed, you know, that God was even someone who could keep up with the sciences of the times. And he's, you know, as you say, writing 1600 years ago. And that's the same mm -hmm. thing that's happening today. The people see science, they see um, advances in technology, and it's like, how can there be a God um, that could, you know, that we would, you know, we've made God, um, you know, obsolete. And this is something that is so powerful because I, I just interviewed um, Oz Guinness, not just, I guess, a few oh. weeks ago, Oz Guinness yeah. about his book, The Magna Carta of Humanity. And in that book, I mean, I would, I recommend all of these books because they're so powerful. In the Magna Carta of Humanity, he, he talks about how even in this, um, you know, when Moses confronts Pharaoh, says, let's let my people go. And you notice that the priests, the magicians of Egypt are able to do a lot of the things that Moses can do, like turn the, the stick into a snake and create certain, you know, turn the water into blood. They could do it, but they stopped being able to do it. And what happens is when they can't do something, then they say, this must be the work of God. You know, you've, you've got a bat out of their God. And mm -hmm. what Os Guinness brings out, which is so powerful, is that he says, this is the first glimpse we have of people thinking about the God of the gaps. Like, because we can't mm -hmm. think about it, we can't advance it. You know, this God must have done it somehow. So he says that's a very dangerous precedent because it says, well, then science can some way disprove God at some point in, in the game, right? And that's what a lot of people say. It's like, no, God works through the natural processes. He can work through miracles and upsetting the natural process, but he'll work through the natural processes. And so very, be very careful about you know, relying on this idea of the God of the gaps because God is God created the natural world. He created mm. the natural order. He can work very well within it. And that gives credence to our lives. Our lives mm. are part of the natural world that take place every single day. And God is working through that process in your life every single day. Amen. Amen. You, you know, I think about a hundred years ago, G.K. Chesterton, who had a pretty profound influence on the life of C.S. Lewis, by the way, but G.K. Chesterton uh, was talking about how really uh, all of life points to Jesus Christ, really, and not only understanding history, uh, the coming of Christ, the most significant life that was ever lived, and then if we will allow it the good times, the hard times, uh, God is trying to draw us to himself. And I love the way Chesterton phrased this. He said, Jesus is the exegesis of all things. He's the key that opens every lock. And if yes. we let Christ into our life, suddenly our own life, our place in the world, our journey and history itself makes sense. I think that's a message our world needs to hear more urgently than ever. Would you agree? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. I think one of the greatest, greatest problems people have with belief in God is pain and suffering. And every generation has their own sense of pain and suffering. Um, and the theologians understand why there is a there's pain and suffering. But for every generation, they have to figure it out, which means you have to figure it out for their own life as well. 
But the idea is is that, you know, why would a good God allow pain and suffering? And for the atheist, the atheist will come up with the answer, well, God can be either all-powerful or he can be all-good, but he can't be both. Mm -hmm. If he's all-good, it means he wants to stop the pain and suffering, but he can't. He doesn't have the power to do so. But if he's all-powerful, it means he can stop the the, the, this pain and suffering, but he chooses not to, which means he can't be good. And this is the dilemma. And only on the cross are these two ideas reconciled. And this is why mm. what G.K. Chesterton says, it points, everything points to Jesus. On the cross, pain and suffering are now reconciled. Justice, mercy, love, law, all of that is reconciled into one element that you cannot reconcile these any other way. It just, see, it is, it is the most profound truth ever, but it is the most simple truth as well. A child can understand it, but then, you know, PhDs are still studying it. So it really is this incredible um, knowledge and understanding that stays with us from, you know, conception to eternity. Mm-hmm. Um, if you're just tuning in, folks, Alex McFarland here with our very special guest, Lauren Green of Fox News. She's the author of two incredibly profound books, in my opinion. One is Lighthouse Faith, and then more recently, Light for Today, which is a devotional book I highly recommend. Uh, we'll do this a time or two in the course of this broadcast, Lauren, but where may people find your books? Where may people find you online? And where may people listen to the Lighthouse Faith podcast? Well, online, I mean, you can get the book, I'm sure, at Amazon. Um, that's where it will probably, Amazon and other things, I should probably check all these things. I'm not very social media, very adept at this. And I'm like, ah. but I'm sure um, it's published by Broad Street and Broad Street Publishing. Um, we'll have more information about it, but um, uh, de- definitely Amazon. Um, and we are working with uh, Glue, which is an online um, platform to actually start promoting it through two churches as well, throughout thousands of churches throughout the uh, the United States and beyond. Um, Wonderful. And also the Lighthouse Faith podcast you can find on foxnews.com. Uh, it's, I think it's on foxnews.com radio, um, but it's uh, it's on foxnews.com. And um, and I think I think I've got a website too, which is um, either either Lauren Green or Lighthouse Faith, one of those two. So yeah. Um, I should like I really should be better at this. So so how does one begin to write a 365-day devotional? That's got to be pretty daunting. Yes and no, but this is what happened after Lighthouse Faith came out because I spent really 10 years researching and writing this book. And so mm-hmm. once it was published, um I began to do more studying and researching and reading. And with the idea of writing a second book, but then I started, I said, you know, I, I, I began writing these thoughts for the day. You know, it's just a thought for the day. And um, I had my niece put them on my Facebook page, um, like Monday through Friday. And so it ended up being a number one, you know, you know, one or two, number three, number four, number five. And pretty soon I had over 400. So these thoughts for the day were kind of out there. Um, at some point. And it was more about me and some of the things that I was going through. And they actually got a little bit better as time went on because I kept reading because I write, I read devotionals every day. I read scripture every day and whatever I'm reading or at the time or people I'm interviewing, I mean, I'm very often I will, you know, 
read, read books all the way through after I've interviewed somebody. So um, a lot of times it just takes a little more time. But about a year and a half ago, um, one of the representatives from Broad Street Publishing happened to see me at NRB. And she asked, um, her name was Suzanne Niles, who was a really wonderful young, uh, not, uh, oh, she's a wonderful woman, personal thing. Yeah. She yeah. said, how would you like, would you ever thought about doing a devotional? And I went like, well, I just so happened to have these thoughts for the day that I could probably add it into some kind of devotional. And then we started working on that. And um, that's how it came about. Really, I wrote these not just, I wrote them for myself so that I could find God in the everyday. So that I could kind of see even in my past, um, in my present and in my future, God working through these things. And sometimes they were about me. Sometimes they were just about you know, cats. And sometimes they were about situations. Um, so other people that I knew, their friends and family colleagues, um, mm -hmm. you know, they're, 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 everybody's sort of, hmm, I never really thought about seeing God in that way. Uh, I didn't think that God could be, you know, you could actually glean God from this encounter with a little kitten, you know, and I told mm -hmm. the story about this. I mean, this is just one example that, you know, I have, People know me know I have a lot of cats, but when they were kittens, um, one cat had gotten into a plastic bag and I was very, very upset, but she, she was very scared because the bag made all this noise. And so um, she ran away from me because she wanted to hide from the noise, but I was trying to save her from the bag. So, but she ran into a place where I couldn't get to her, where I was, she was, Bottom line, she was running away from the very thing that could save her. And that's wow. how we are. Running away from God, the it's very nature, thing that's going to save us. And so those are the kinds of things that um, I started looking in everyday life about how God is working in my life. How many times have I run away from God thinking that I knew how to save myself? And yet instead of running away from God, I should have been running to God. You know, and it, it's just little things like that, um, just seeing um, in challenges, in encounters with people, um, how I probably should have been nicer to that telemarketer when she called, you know, yeah. um, you know, little things like that. And just seeing God um, reading scripture every day and every day scripture, um, even though I've read it before, seems to apply differently depending on what I'm going through or the knowledge I have, I've gained about God and how God is working in our lives. Mm -hmm. Has so. there been uh, in the devotional book, because, you know, it's funny how in the course of a year, we go through all sorts of cycles that we sometimes experience in the course of a life. Yeah. Uh, gratitude, uh, reflection, prayer, you know, was there any dominant theme as you look back over the devotional book? It, is there one or two themes that seem to be maybe a little bit more prominent than others? Well, one of the things that became the tagline for every devotional was to God alone be glory. To God Amen. alone be glory. Because I didn't feel the need to write a prayer out because I've read devotionals where there's a prayer at the end and it's not my prayer, but it it, it works. You know, you read sure. through it, but it's not. But then just to remember, no matter what happens in your life, to God alone be glory. 
You know, the Lighthouse Faith Book was based on this idea that the Ten Commandments were basically in a hierarchical position based on a lighthouse, but only the first commandment was the key. It was like this beacon shining out that um, I am the Lord your God, you shall have no other gods before me. And all of the Ten Commandments, two through ten, um, have to bow to that first commandment, that you can't break two through ten unless you've first broken, broken number one. So in that way, right. the first commandment is the beacon, is the light, to God alone be glory. And and God's word says, I will not give my glory to another. And it's not because he chooses not to, it's because he's God. He cannot, right. he will not, because if he yeah. gives his glory to another, the world falls apart. I, yeah. I will not give my glory to another. So this is how the world works. You know, and that's the idea, it's like, oh, it's not God who needs to adjust. It's it's me that needs to adjust. Yeah. Well, and, so I think that know, would be I think that would be the theme is to recognize that no matter no, to God alone be glory. And I and I constantly have to be reminded of this pride, this ego, this 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 this, this, this selfishness that's just part of the sin nature that's in me. Um, I, you know. That is a particular issue that I know I have. Um, but I work in an industry where it's very cosmetic. It's very, you know, if you're on TV and you know, this is your yeah. job to be on camera. So I think that's a particular um, thing that I would have to deal with. Everybody has to deal with something that they have to identify that is becomes their little G-God, their idol, that their idol that um, is part of their life. And if, once you start identifying that, I think it's it's helpful to kind of move forward, you know? Yeah. Well, yeah. And you in New York and you mentioned NRB and, um, you know, I've, I've seen you at your studios in Manhattan a number of times and at functions all around the country. Um, has it taken a lot of, you know, proactivity to keep your eyes on the Lord all these years working, like you say, working in an industry where people can tend to be narcissistic and self-absorbed. I mean, um, in my opinion, you've been an exemplary representative of not only professionalism, but godliness. Um, well, you're, how, you're very how, kind. How, you're very kind. You're very well, kind. But, you know, I think, I think there are more people of faith working in the industry than people realize. Now, Fox is very, very upfront about um, you know, the people of faith, uh, you know, Ainsley Earhart. I mean, I think she is, mm -hmm. I think she still has her, her Bible study uh, show that she was on. Uh, mm -hmm. um, uh, you know, Harris Faulkner wrote a book on faith. Uh, uh, Dana Perino. Uh, you've got a lot, mm -hmm. a lot of, I mean, of course, Shannon Green. Um, you've just got yeah. so many people of faith on Fox and they're very, um, um, they're very straightforward and very upfront about their faith. And um, Fox gives us that, that 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 um, allowance to do that. I mean, if you wear your cross on the air, nobody nobody says anything. It's not like you know, don't wow. don't give it away. Don't give it. Away. I mean, it's really very upfront, and you can you can tell that people there are a lot of people of faith. So in a, in, a, in an industry, yes, generally speaking, in the media industry, there are um, it is mostly a secular. I mean, I remember even twenty five thirty years ago when they did a study. And it showed that 80% of the of the journalists working in, in network TV and, and, and in newspapers, 80% were actually pro-abortion. 
So you mm -hmm. see that it, it was different from the general public. So that's why you've got more, um, 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 you know, it seems like, you know, the secular media, the liberal media. Well, I mean, that's, I don't know. I mean, it, but but you've got, it, I think that those numbers are a little different, you know, in a place like Fox. I, I was going to ask you, do you think that those numbers have changed over the years that you've been in journalism? Um, not only journalists, but the industry in general, has it become less friendly toward a God, morals, faith, or uh, has there been a, a shift in your opinion? Mm -hmm. Well, it used to be the two cultural, you know, pillars for determining whether someone's a liberal or or conservative, um, you know, mm -hmm. homosexuality or gay marriage and abortion. Those really right. were together, right? Mm -hmm. Somewhere along the line, the two split, like whether you had the younger generation that they the numbers supporting uh, gay marriage, homosexuality, gender affirming, whatever, are different for that generation or younger generation that are for abortion. Abortion seems to be one that is actually growing with younger generations, um, which I so, so it's a, it's a split. Uh, so that's a difference mm -hmm. I've seen, and I think there's a difference probably in the media as well. And I think part right. of it is just the science that's coming out. You can show they're doing open heart surgery on unborn children, things like that. I mean, I. I, I Think so. I mean, they're just doing surgery on, you know, infants in the womb. Um, you can. There's more technology um, that shows the unborn. Uh, I think those kinds of things um, have convinced a lot more young people um, to be more pro-life. Exactly, and you know, I've spoken at universities where I met pro-life secularists. Now, um, we'll have to really unpack what I'm about to say on the other side of the break, but as you and I are doing this program, there's uh, a study out from yesterday that the nuns, N-O-N-E-S, are the, like the largest demographic uh, in America right now about religion. When you ask, oh, what is your faith or your belief in God, and they would say none, N-O-N-E-S. Um, you know, I'd love your your insights on the nuns, but interestingly, even though they may not necessarily uh, be Christian or believe in God at all, many of them are pro-life. And like yeah. you say, the science has been just um, compelling on this. And so at least that's encouraging, isn't it? Absolutely. I mean, I think, like I said, the science, oh, science is very incredible because uh, you know Eric Metaxas, he wrote the book, Is Atheism oh, yeah. Dead? And he basically brings out the arguments that the whole scientific argument about whether there exists or God is really out the window. There really are, science is actually um, pointing more towards God than away. So the, the same oh, yeah. idea for, for abortion and it is the same thing. Science actually, even though you can't prove without a shadow of a doubt that you know there is a God, the science actually is giving creed to things like um, how the world began, you know, the Big Bang, um, you know, the, the long cosmological argument, the fine-tuning mm -hmm. argument. All of these are incredible proofs of, may, you know, maybe there's a God out there. But there's one yeah. point you want to make, though, is that belief in God is not really the issue because we know that Satan believes in God. Satan is, God is more real to Satan than anything. Right. It's not yeah. about belief in God. It's about what are you worshiping? And that's where the younger generation really kind of has a problem uh, with what are you really worshiping? You're not you may not be going to church. You may not 
you, you want to be, I want to be spiritual, not religious, but something has captured your heart. And if you don't identify what that is and understand what that is, then you're kind of adrift. You know, you're kind of, a, yeah. you're kind of adrift on a wave and you don't even know where that wave is going. And that's what religion yeah. does. That's what organized religion does in prayer, in, in, in doctrine, in theology, and understanding what the purpose of your life really truly is. Hold that thought. Forgive me, we've got a break. Very well said. This is a special edition of Truth and Liberty with our guest, Lauren Green. We're back after this. At Truth and Liberty Coalition, we have big plans to make a big impact. If you want to be a part of turning our nation back to God, I want to invite you to become a supporter of Truth and Liberty. You can go on our website at truthandliberty.net to the donate page and make a gift there. And you can also sign up to be uh, make a recurring automatic gift of $5 or more per month, and then you'll become a Truth and Liberty member. And uh, our gifts to Truth and Liberty are not tax deductible, but I promise you, God sees your generosity. So go to Truth and Liberty and become a member today. Have you been praying about how to make your business your mission field? GospelTruth.tv Business features leadership and financial stewardship training from industry experts. Learn the next steps to building wealth and using it to grow God's kingdom. Tune in Saturdays to GospelTruth.tv Business and watch anytime with GospelTruth.tv Premium. Visit GospelTruth.tv today for biblical teaching you can trust. At Truth and Liberty Coalition, we work to unify, educate, and mobilize the body of Christ to change nations. That's why I want to encourage you to go to our website at truthandliberty.net and subscribe so that you can begin receiving regular updates uh, about our show, news items, action alerts, blog posts, and much, much more. Uh, all you have to do is go to the website, click subscribe, share your email address, and you'll begin to be equipped to stand for truth in the public square. Welcome back to Truth and Liberty. Alex McFarland here. You have tuned in on the right night, let me tell you, having a conversation with Lauren Green, renowned journalist, longtime religion correspondent with Fox News, author, speaker, and uh, her two books that I would love for you to check out. I've got them both, and they are wonderful. One is called Lighthouse Faith. It's also the name of her podcast, which if you uh, Google Fox News and the Lighthouse Faith podcast by Lauren Green, you'll find it. Then uh, a year-long devotional, 365-day devotional, Truth for Today, which, I mean, that's quite an accomplishment in itself. She's our guest, and we will get to questions here in just a little bit. If you've ever, if you've ever wanted to talk to a, a journalist, uh, Lauren Green, you have an opportunity tonight to do that, 719-619-2341. But I want to make you aware of a special event, the Riverside Gospel Truth Conference 2024. It's February 15 through 17 in Riverside, California, the Riverside Convention Center. Now check this out. Andrew Womack will be there in person, Dwayne Sheriff. Dwayne Sheriff and I did two shows last week while uh, we were watching the California snow, but uh, California is a pretty good place to be in February, February 15 through 17. And you can learn more about the Riverside Gospel Truth Conference at awmi.net slash events, awmi.net 
truthandliberty.net slash events. And uh, you can watch also at truthandliberty.net. By the way, I've submitted several articles for the Truth and Liberty website. They're going to be up uh, if they're not up already. And let me encourage you, truthandliberty.net slash subscribe. Attorney, pastor, cultural commentator Richard Harris, he's always writing and posting things. There is the, the iVoter guide because there's a lot going on. And look, of course, if you're a Christian, our citizenship is in heaven. But like Augustine said in the first segment, we quoted Augustine. Augustine said, until we are in the city of God, we have an obligation to the city of man. And truth and liberty exists to uh, proclaim truth and interview great guests and opinion makers like our guests tonight, but also to equip and inspire and hopefully mobilize people who care about our country, who pray for America, and who influence others. So truthandliberty.net, we humbly believe God has raised up this platform to help inspire and encourage all of us. And again, the number, if you need prayer, maybe you, maybe you need to come to Christ, know that you're a believer. Maybe you need to come back to Christ, or maybe you just need a listening ear. Here's what we'll do. No, look, no strings attached, no obligation. We just want to encourage you in the Lord. The number for spiritual help is 719-635-1111 if you need some encouragement or what does God's Word say about your situation. It would be our privilege to hear from you tonight. Well, we're going to continue our conversation with Lauren Green. So much to talk about, but we're going to begin with um, Mitchell in Tennessee, uh, which is where the National Religious Broadcasters Convention will be in a few weeks. We'll be there, but Mitchell in Tennessee, thanks for holding, and welcome to Truth and Liberty. You're very welcome. Good evening. I have a question Good for evening. you. Yes, sir. Does a person that's a non-believer, do they get really bitter and angry before their time? But before, Do they get really bitter and angry before their time is up? Like, like what I'm asking, there's a guy that goes on a chat line. I'm keeping it child-friendly language. I've talked to you before, Alex, and he's narcissistic, okay. and he said— one time he said that he was on the chat line because of health reasons. He's coughing. He coughs a lot, just nonstop. And then he's always, you know, putting people down, tearing people down, narcissistic, just evil. And I'm just wondering, when people like that that are non-believers, is that a sign before they leave this world? Do they get really bitter and angry? Well, let me say, as as a pastor and counselor, and then I'm going to throw it to our guest, Lauren Green, um, I have seen people get uh, bitter at the end of life. I've seen people be fearful at the end of life, and I've seen people, you know, facing the uncertainty of eternity. Uh, and that, that's why it's so important. You know, the Bible says, um, seek the Lord in thy youth. You know, um, and I, I really do encourage people to respond to God's overtures at, at a young age. Um, you know, God loves us, and and I firmly believe, as we often say on this show, Jesus is as close by as a prayer. And uh, when you feel the Spirit of the Lord calling you, you know, the Bible says that if we turn to Christ, this is in John six thirty seven. If we turn to Christ, He will not reject us. He will receive us. But the important thing is to do it because if, let's say, we feel God calling us and we, we understand the Spirit of the Lord is, is making overtures, uh, we don't have tomorrow. 
we have no guarantee of tomorrow, but we do have right now. But um, the reaction people have, the longer they go, having held God at arm's length, sometimes the harder it is for them to turn to Christ, if, if they even do at all. But Lauren, what would you say to this question? Have you, have you seen this in the lives of people? The more they maybe procrastinate about God, the harder it is to finally mm -hmm. face the Lord? Well, I also think part of it is they have to entrench themselves into their beliefs further and further and further. But one of the things I've learned about talking with people who've done a lot of um, um, atheism is that, um, and I remember one one theologian said, says, I've, I've really never met a true atheist. I've met a lot of people who are angry at God. And I think there's an anger at God um, that is beneath all of the cynicism and the hate and the and there's a lot of pain and suffering in that. And a lot of times when we meet people who are very unruly or very mean-spirited, we don't see that perhaps there is a pain there that they, they can't deal with, that they haven't been able to yeah. deal with. Then the other thing, you know, the Apostle Paul talked about, you know, we all know that there is a God. You know, no one, very few people are convinced of the existence of God through an intellectual argument. I mean, you've got yeah. all of this science out there, but one of the things that usually brings them to faith is this emotional appeal to what they're really hurting from. And we all yeah. know that there's a God, but that Paul, Paul says, we suppress that truth. We have to, because yeah. it's too painful. We live in a very individualistic society who, that prides itself on autonomy. And the fact that we would need a savior other than ourselves is, can be very painful to people. You know, I don't know what this gentleman's dealing with. I don't know if, if what's in his heart, but somewhere along the line, he had to put a serious band-aid over a wound, an emotional wound, and this is how it happened. I don't know. I think the, the great thing about Jesus, and I always say this to people, the great thing about Jesus, he didn't really talk to people in terms of answering their questions directly, he spoke to their need. He spoke to what their heart really needed to hear, not mm -hmm. answering a question directly. And Nicodemus came to him and said, you know, Nicodemus, who is, you know, you know, the great theologian, you know, priest and all of that. And he says, what do I need to do? You know, he thinking, you know, I need to top off the tank. I need an extra Bible study here or there. And he tells Nicodemus, you have to be born again. What? Wow. I'm, I'm a theologian of theologians. I have a doctorate in theology, and you're telling me I need to be born again? See, he's speaking to the heart. He's, seeing, he's telling you what you need to hear. And I think for anybody who is in pain and lashing out like that, it's going to take someone who can love them more than they hate themselves. It's, Mitchell, it's on the... Uh, on the call screen yourself, where if I'm reading it correctly, um, you're blind. Is that right, Mitchell? Hey, Mitchell, are you there? Yes, sir. Yeah. Um, so, so you're blind. Is that right? Yes, sir. Uh, if you don't mind me asking, uh, is that from birth or did it come along at later in life? Birth. Birth. Uh, are you a believer? Are you a Christian, Mitchell? Yes, sir. Did um, not having sight did did that ever make you angry at God or 
Did you ever Not say, you know, why God? Not at all. I'm happy this way, honestly. Really? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Um, how has has blindness uh, affected? Did it did it make your need of God all the more pronounced, or or how did you process when, when other people? I would argue, Mitchell. Some people have less. Uh, physical infirmity and they get mad at God. You've got a great physical infirmity and yet you embrace the Lord. How did that work in your life, Mitchell? Went to church when at a church in Nashville, got baptized in the second grade. The pastor said, when you come up out of, there's a charismatic church, a Baptist church, mm-hmm. it was like a charismatic. And he said, when you come up out of the water, you're going to see. And I came mm-hmm. up out of the water and didn't see. But I said, you know what? I'm not, my mom, we were, my mom was pretty furious at him though. But I wasn't. And uh, I told Pastor Jim, I said, I'm not mad at all. And uh, I realize there's people in worse conditions than me, and I'm happy the way I am. What What would you say to somebody that's um, angry at God right now? Maybe they've got all their faculties. Maybe they can see. But uh, they're they're angry at God, and for one reason or another, they've not let God in. What would you say, Mitchell? I would say to them in a kind tone, I'd say, can I discuss some stuff with you? If they say, yes, I will. You can. I would say that um, I would say to them that maybe I'd ask them, do they maybe, could they understand maybe that sometimes it's, you know, some people get healed, some people don't. And um, just uh, keep your head up high and just, just realize there's people in worse conditions than you. Hmm. Lauren, uh, even in the hard times and even in the midst of physical infirmities, to be alive is a blessing, isn't it? To, to have life, life is a gift from God. And even in the worst of times, we, we still do have things to be thankful for, don't we? Yeah, I mean, life is the first gift. Um, that's why we fight so much, you know, in the pro-life industry, as you know, life is a gift. But, you know, Everyone has something that God has given them or God allows them to have um, in order to be more faithful witnesses. Um, Paul talked about the thorn in his side or something. He prayed to God, remove it, and God never did. And he says, but you know, my grace is sufficient. Um, sometimes, and I think the Gospels talk about sometimes the blind are, can, be see, can see better than the, the seeing. Seeing are blind to so many things, blind to love, blind to um, forgiveness, mercy, grace, justice. They're blind to so many things. They are given the gift of sight and can actually see God's world. And yet, instead of praising that world, you know, we, you know, curse it or um, we don't see the beauty in it. Um, And sometimes... um, very much so. And of course, in Mitchell's case, obviously, he had, he sees better than people with their sight. Because when you, when you can see with your soul God's goodness, that's like heaven on earth. Mm. You know, Mit- truly. Mitchell, God bless you. Thank you for calling in. And thank you for watching Truth and Liberty. By the way, folks, the number, if you have a question for Lauren Green, it's 719-619-2341. Lauren, before the break, I was talking about the study of nuns, N-O-N-E-S. And uh, I wanted wanted to ask you, um, you know, 
Do you think our country, uh, because in so many ways we seem uh, politically divided, spiritually divided, socially divided, um, do, do you feel like we've lost the common culture of what it means to be an American? Um, I don't think we have lost it because I don't want to always think, oh, we've lost something. No, there's always hope. We, you can yeah. you can reconnect with the image and the of freedom and order that the founding fathers uh, envisioned for this country. Um, I I think there is, you know, it's like I don't think it needs a little tweaking. I think there's certainly some issues. I think really um, the the younger generation really have to understand that not being religious is not a badge of honor. One of the things yeah. that happens in today's individual world, individualistic world, is that people are very comfortable when people saying they're seeking or I'm religiously undefined. It means just kind of open to anything. But what scares people is it's very unacceptable to say that you found something, that right. you know, Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And I'm going to, I'm going to base my life on that truth. That's probably more unacceptable to people today than saying, I'm spiritual, not religious. Now, you can make a lot of excuses about young people, but they don't want to go to church because they think there are a lot of hypocrites at church and, and you know, the religious, um, you, know, you know, people are just more hypocritical. I said, <laughs> I remember Tommy Nelson out of Denham Bible Church said, yeah, there are a lot of hypocrites in church, but, you know, there's always room for one more, you know. <laughs> so, you can, the idea is that if you don't admit your sin nature, that you are not perfect, then you have this tendency to look at other people and say, well, they're hypocrites over there. Well, you know, the, the churches are, are for the sick, like hospitals are for the sick, they're not for the well. Churches are for yeah. the sick, the sick in souls and, and people who admit, okay, I'm not perfect. You know, God's working on me. But to the only way the gospel makes sense and it really gets down deep in your soul is to understand the depth of your sin. And once you turn yeah. that microscope onto yourself and say, oh, my gosh, this sin nature is really something that is terrible. And I can't save myself. I can't undo this. I can't purge myself of this. I need help from the outside. I need a savior. Only when you understand that you are more sinful than you would ever believe does the gospel then become this incredible gift and amazing grace. I love that quote by John Piper. Uh, and did you ever interview John Piper? You probably have, right? I actually did interview John Piper for my uh, the Lighthouse Faith book. We had a really long conversation. I don't think he was he was featured in the book enough, but he's he's so incredibly powerful. Um, you know, he has the ministry Desiring God, and I asked yeah. him about, uh, you know, marriage, basically. I mean, I asked him about marriage and how hard it is for young people to be married or to stay married. And he talked about, you know, sometimes marriages go through these dips. And it, can, it can be a two-week dip. It can be a two-year dip. <laughs> sometimes it's a yeah. five-year dip. But you can come out on the other side stronger and, 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 and more powerful in a marriage. The problem with young people today is that if you've had their problem today is that their norm is to have sex outside of marriage. That's very normal. 
Um, it yeah. was normal when I grew up. I mean, people ex expected it. But what you didn't understand and what the church had a hard time of articulating to the younger generation is that that will actually destroy your marriage. That will actually create yeah. a more tendency in a marriage for you to break apart your marriage because you have to separate love from sex in marriage, right? Mm -hmm. um, because, and then when you get married, you have to undo that. And it's very hard. That's why marriage is so important. That's why marriage, um, it's so important to learn that about marriage. And John Piper was talking about that about, you know, what marriage actually is. And, you know, the person you marry, you know, on day one is not the person that you're married to, you know, on a you 20-year know, period. Problem is, right. is that most young people kind of make it go about two years. But, you know, John Piper is one of these voices that I wish more people, young people would know. I didn't get a chance to do a podcast with him. And he's, he's kind of an elusive person. He's very, he's, he, he you know, he's, he's hard-nosed, not hard-nosed, but he is, um, he is theology, you know, graduate level theology. And for yeah. a lot of people, it's, it's hard to take a lot of people that I interview, um, you know, are great theologians or great scholars. And sometimes it can go over people's heads, but I try to make, you yeah. know, make it more, more accessible. Oh, I love this quote. Uh, John Piper once said, uh, he said, the bad news is you're a whole lot worse sinner than you think you are. The good news is God's a whole lot bigger Savior than you think He is. And, uh, I mean, that, that's good news for all of us. But, uh, well, it is. It know, is. And, you know, in the news business, I think this is, where, this is where kind of rubber meets the road. We want to believe everybody else is worse than we are. And yeah. we cannot believe that God would forgive somebody who committed the most heinous crime. It's very difficult. Forgiveness is the most difficult thing in Christian doctrine. But it's yeah. the reason why God himself had to die on a cross is because forgiveness is difficult. Um, yeah. But yeah, and in, in the news business, we are very apt to look at people and, you know, want to condemn them and want to see only them, see them only as this heinous thing out there. And but what it does is make it makes us look bad. I would never do that. Mm. I would never you know, commit adultery. Yeah. I would never, you know, fraud my, you know, my, my, my attorneys out of their, you know, out of their, their fees. I would never do anything like that. I wouldn't, well, of course you wouldn't, but because that's not you, you've got your own set of sins that you would do, but you, you, you know, <laughs> but, but, you know, no one, you know, but no one thinks about that. I mean, I, I wouldn't do that because that's just not in my wheelhouse, but there are other things that I do that I know yeah. have to be aware of. You know, so hey, if I, mean, you, I think that's that's the idea. It's like it's like I mean, Tim Keller has the same have the same line. Says, you know, you are you are far more sinful than you could ever imagine, but the but God is far more um, gracious and loving than you could ever imagine. You know, God is greater than your sin. God is greater than your hate for yourself. God is greater than the hate you have for other people or for your you know your sense of justice and mercy. Mm -hmm. I mean, God's just greater than that. That's why God is very patient because he knows us. He knows how we're made and just be I thankful that God is patient. How the Bible phrases it, it says, uh, he remembers our frame. He knows that we are but dust. And, uh, you know, we want to say this, I've alluded to this a time or two, but uh, everybody watching, God loves you. I, I wish I could put this on a billboard in every, you know, intersection in America. God really, really loves you.
He really does. Now, our sin is serious, but Christ addressed it. He went to the cross, and the Bible says that if we turn to Jesus, he will wash our sin away. And the Bible says in Romans 10, 13, that whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And if you've ever wanted a do-over at life, the good news is Jesus offers that. All can be forgiven. Uh, Christ will come to be the, the most real thing in your whole life. And Ephesians 4.30 says the Holy Spirit will indwell you and in fact seal you. And if you need spiritual help, if you want to come to Christ or maybe come back to Jesus, you just want to make a fresh start in your walk with the Lord Here's a number. Somebody will pray with you, 719-635-1111. If you're just tuning in, we've got the privilege tonight to visit with Lauren Green of Fox News. She does the Lighthouse Faith podcast. It's excellent. She's interviewed everybody you've heard of and probably many you haven't. People like Eric Metaxas and Lee Strobel and a lot of great opinion makers um, and Lauren, if they go to the Fox website and put your name in the space bar, they'll find the Lighthouse Faith podcast, I'm Absolutely. sure, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, one of the things yeah. I actually wanted to speak to women in particular, because you're talking about reaching out and the Christ is there for you and Jesus loves you and wants you here, mm. wants to love you, wants to open up your, wants you to open up his heart, open your heart for his love. And one of the things I want to speak to is the women, because uh, women have in their minds what they want to have in their future. They want to be married. They want to have children. Um, they want, you know, they want to have this life of love and fullness. And sometimes life just doesn't give you that. Sometimes right. you don't have the children. You never meet, you know, the man that, you know, of your dreams, although I did. But anyway, but I'm just saying is that I was never, it was never, a young dream for me that came true. I imagined that I would be married and have, you know, six or eight kids because that's what my dream was, but it never mm -hmm. happened. God's plans are always better, but they may not be our plans. And we have to learn to accept God's working in our life and just say, like Proverbs 3, 5, trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on a, your own understanding and all your ways acknowledge him and he will direct your path. This is the this is how I think more women could really understand God working in their life that they because women have obviously a clock, a biological clock, and they have this idea that they want to have children, they want to get married, and sometimes it just doesn't happen. Sometimes you're not going to be the partner, sometimes you're not going to be the concert pianist that you think you're going to be. Sometimes you're you're not yeah. going to be the actress you want to be or the or, you know, the lawyer or whatever it is, sometimes yeah. it just doesn't happen. And we have to accept that as God's will, but then put our faith in God, not in the life we thought we were going to have. You know, oh, somebody did a study a long time ago, and it was one of my Bible study um, uh, um, friends talked about this. She said, a lot of young people, they said they have hope, but what they didn't realize is that their hope was in their future. They, so their hope wasn't in Christ very much. There was, their hope was in their own abilities to create a future for themselves because they're young. And it's mm -hmm. only when you get older that you realize your hope really was in Christ. And, that, and that's Amen. a truth that has to get down into you. That a lot of young people are, 
are unable to do because so much of society says your hope is in being able to accomplish certain things. And, you know, they, Lauren, they that is such a good word. That, that is such a good word for, for this generation. Well, really for all of us, because, you know, I love Matthew 6, It says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these other things will be added to us. I mean, if, if we've got the world, but not the Lord, we're destitute. But if, and this is not just a platitude, I mean, this is reality. If we have got the Lord Jesus Christ and our heart is full and our soul is satisfied, then, I mean, what can the world dangle in front of me? I've got uh, the God of eternity uh, who loves me. That is where the true fulfillment is, isn't it? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And and I, I think this is what's so important about understanding to seeing everything through the prism and through the idea of God working in your life. I mean, I've interviewed like Nancy Piercy, who is a social psychologist, um, Mary Eberstadt also, and they've done incredible oh. research on, um, on how the world is working. You know, what happened when the, during the sexual revolution? How did that affect this culture? Nancy Piercy's uh, the, the War on Toxic Masculinity is another book that is incredible insight into how the Industrial Revolution sort of severed a relationship that most children had with their parents, or their, particularly their fathers, mm. and how that affected, you know, generations later. Um, I mean, but these are incredible insights into God being, you know, the, the Lord of history. I mean, people talk about being the right side of uh, being the right on the right side of history. It's like, no, 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 no. We need to be on the right side of eternity and. God is the Lord of history. He's also in charge of eternity. So be concerned more about that than about being on the right side of history. Hold that thought. We've got a brief break coming up. Alex McFarlane here. This is Truth and Liberty, our very special guest, Lauren Green, author of Light for Today, a new devotional book. Stay tuned. We're back after this. Are you in ministry and want to connect with other like-minded ministers? Andrew Womack founded the Association of Related Ministries International, or ARMY, to serve, equip, and empower you for success in your ministry through relationships, community, and resources. But just being a part of this, uh, being filled with the Word of God and with Army and fellowshipping, knowing that I have other ministers with me, it is awesome. We have met such precious people through Army. Uh, there's people I know I can call when I'm in a jam. Ministers have a safe place to come. We can unify and unite for the kingdom. As an Army member, some of the benefits you'll enjoy are Bible teaching correspondence courses, regional advocates for personal support and ministry, regional events for networking, one-on-one -on -one ministry and encouragement, our monthly newsletter, and more. You don't have to do ministry alone. Join this growing network of dynamic and elite ministers from across the U.S. and around the world today. Hey, you know, a big part of what we do here at Truth and Liberty is to provide you with the resources that you need in order to stand for truth in the public square. So I want to remind everybody to go to our website and check out our resources page at truthandliberty.net slash resources, where you can find material that discusses just about every issue we're facing today in our culture. And these are things that are prepared by our strategic partners and some of the uh, most influential and important organizations in America today. 
Welcome back to Truth and Liberty. Alex McFarland here. We're having a great conversation with our very special guest, Lauren Green. We'll get to more phone calls and questions in a moment. The number is 719-619-2341. Hey, um, at the risk of being self-serving, here goes anyway. I want to share some things coming up on my calendar. My own website is alexmcfarland.com. And the website for our summer camps, Equip Retreat. Org, EquipRetreat.org. Let me uh, share what the Lord's allowing me to do here in the next few weeks. I'll be at Blue Mountain Christian University in Mississippi. They've got uh, February 19 and 20 some lectures. They're called the Digby Lectures on Christianity and America. And I feel very privileged that I've been invited this year to give these lectures, and they are open to the public. Blue Mountain Christian University is, um, as I understand it, in Mississippi, not too far from Nashville. And so February 19 and 20, I'll be speaking. Then I'll be at the National Religious Broadcasters Convention, uh, February 21 and 22, and be in prayer for that. That's going to be just very amazing. Two more things, July 12th, 13th, and 14th. And by the way, my, my complete tour schedule is on alexmcfarland.com. Go to the calendar. I'm in Texas. I'm in Indiana. I'm in Cincinnati, Ohio. A lot going on. But something I want you to take special note of, if you would, and I would love for you to be there, folks, the Cove, the Billy Graham Training Center in Western North Carolina, July 12th through 14th. I've got the privilege of being there. And you know what's so neat about the Cove is, if you ever get invited there, Will Graham, the director, asks you to teach through a book of the Bible. And in the last 18 summers, what an honor, I've taught through a number of the books of the Bible, Genesis, Romans, Colossians, the Psalms, the Gospels. But this year, I've never done this book before, but I've been asked to teach the book of 1 John. So if you come to the Cove with us July 12th through 14th of 24, we're going to talk about the believer's identity in Christ. What does it mean to be in Christ? What about our authority in Jesus Christ? 1 John, I think it'll be a great encouragement to you. And at the Cove, honestly, you will feel the presence of God there. We'll be with people from all 50 states and internationally. The accommodations are wonderful. Go to the website, thecove.org, T-H-E-C-O-V-E, thecove.org. If you put my name in the space bar, you'll find it, and I would love for you to join us there. And then finally, our, our camps for young people. We'll have over a 1,000 teenagers in seven summer camps. The website is equipretreat.org. We'll be in Montana. We'll be in New Jersey. We'll be in Indiana, Georgia, South Carolina, all around the country. And what we do at the Equip Retreats, we talk about the gospel. We talk about what does it mean to know the Lord. And these middle school and high schoolers, I mean, they soak it up like thirsty people on a hot, sunny day. But we talk about biblical worldview, much of like what Lauren and I are talking about tonight. How do we know God is real? How do we know the Bible is true? And young people need to hear this, I just believe, more urgently than ever, how Jesus is the foundation for life and, you know, I ask you to pray for our, our camps. And uh, if there are teens and young people in your life, consider them coming to one of our summer camps. And people ask this question, uh, Alex, do you do the zip line and the ropes course and rock climbing? I do. Right along there with our counselors and all of our staff, 
There's video of me online doing the zip line, dropping into the lake. We do all the fun camp stuff, but we talk about the Word of God, and the website there is equipretreat.org. Well, we're on with Lauren Green. We've got so much to talk about, and time fleets away. So I want to go to Colorado. Aaron in Colorado is holding. Aaron, thanks for calling into Truth and Liberty tonight, and thanks for being a partner with Truth and Liberty. Welcome to the program, Aaron. Thanks for having me. Uh, My question has to do, uh, well, both of you can answer it, but it's about journalistic integrity. We were talking about how science is starting to prove that God is real more than ever before. And when I look at the news media and social media reporting on transgender and other like things, I go to what is empiricism? What is science proving? Science does not prove that transgender is real. In fact, years ago, it was a mental illness. So my question is, how can journalists allow this lie to continue to be pushed without pushing back on it and saying, this is not real, this is not science? At what point does our media in somewhere, in, in some streams, stand up, push back for all of us who are uh, scratching our heads wondering why. Hmm. Well, this is, uh, I have to answer this because I'm a journalist, but I think this is one in, instance where um, it's an emotional issue. And this is what happens when um, God is not the foundation of your belief system. And I think that secularism is really very much a part of the journalistic world. And that's one area that proves it. Um, I've done podcasts on this. I've even, um, you know, Alex and I have talked about this. That, And there is no scientific proof that tra- there's a transgenderism. I mean, I think there is, um, there's just nothing. And so what you've got, and I've, re- I've read these articles that say, well, this the, both sides have you know the different ideas about what it is, but the the fact of the matter is yes there is a lot of ignoring of actual science, and that's I think why science it's it's not science anymore it's scientism, um, it's it's a it's a belief system rather than understanding what science really is science, as John Lennox uh, Dr John Lennox talked about says you know science can tell you what will happen if you put arsenic in your aunt Tilly's tea, but it can't Mm -hmm. tell you whether you should. Science can Uh tell you what is, not what should be. Problem is scientism is a belief system that says, this is telling me what should be. If science cannot verify that me feeling I'm a man, feeling like I'm a woman, then science just hasn't caught up to me yet. And it's, it's just, it's an emotional issue. And what the problem is, is that you've got perfectly um, healthy people doing surgery on perfectly healthy bodies because of a mental health issue. And I don't know where this is going to stop. You know, one of the things that, um, you know, Oz Guinness brought out in this book, he says, you know, um, you have to have order in order to have freedom and you have to have freedom and in, in, in order to have order. You know, order without freedom without order is anarchy and chaos. And order without freedom is authoritarianism. 
right? Yeah. And the problem with the culture is that we fall on one or, one or the other extremes. You've got to have freedom and you've got to have order. The order of the Bible, of the biblical understanding of gender is that God made the male and female. Science supports this. But if you don't have a biblical worldview, and it's, it's sad to say if you don't have a biblical worldview, you're going to say, well, God hasn't just, we have, science hasn't caught up to how I feel. Science has nothing to do with how you feel. Yeah. Science can only tell you what is in your biology, in your DNA. It has nothing to do with how you feel. That's a whole other category. So I don't know what the, why the journalistic integrity, except that they haven't admitted that, first of all, that, um, you know, it is, it, these are facts. Um, and it's not about people hating you. It's not about transphobia. And, it, and if anything, it's really about loving that person more and saying, I'm sorry, but you, you're not a woman. You know, you can't compete with women. But the whole right. world has kind of forgotten God. And I think transgender is probably um, a, an, ex um, an example of how we kind of decide you know, that we've got this default mode atheism, like atheism actually is the default mode of the, of the actual culture. Because we, like I said, we suppress the truth of God because in some instances it's too painful. I think journalistically, um, you know, I don't know what they, I don't know what's in their hearts. I just don't know. Um, but I do know that, you know, there are a lot of people who are going to be very hurt in the long run because yeah. no one stepped in to say, you, you shouldn't be doing this. This is wrong. And it's sad that parents actually have to fight for their own children because there's an industry, there's an education system, there's a, a legal system that's fighting against them and wanting to take their children away. If that isn't straight out of Satan's tool chest, I don't know what is. Lauren, did you ever interview a British uh, philosopher and Christian thinker named Richard Swinburne? Does that ring a bell? I, I have not interviewed him, but he was part of a lecture series that I was when I was at uh, the uh, Templeton Cambridge Fellowship in 2009. He was one of the speakers. And yes, mm -hmm. uh, I have, but I have not interviewed him. No, no. Um, I, I remember studying his work in grad school, and he's, he's one of the people, and I, I think this is very powerful. He says one of the most compelling arguments for God's existence is what's called the moral argument that it really yes. is written on every heart, every human, uh, whether or not they've had exposure to the Bible or, or, you know, Christian culture, human beings have this moral conscience, this moral awareness, and, and it looks just like the Ten Commandments. And uh, I, I think it's interesting how, uh, I, I'm like you, there, there are no real atheists. I mean, there are people that might be angry about God, I don't think there are any people that are clueless about morals. Now, I, I think maybe they squash it down or suppress it or try to ignore it. But, but I think one of the most compelling arguments, like Swinburne says, that we are spiritual beings, we're in a supernatural universe, and God is the, the answer to all things, is that as part of human nature, we do have this moral compass, this conscience, and it's the law in our heart written by the great lawgiver, God himself. Wouldn't you agree? 
Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. You know, uh, I go back to Tommy Nelson, who's out of the Denton Bible Church in, in, in Denton, Texas. And he says, you know, in his Texas accent, which I can't say, I can't do, but he says, you know, you can act like there's no God, but you can't react like there's no God. If somebody wrongs you, somebody slaps you on the face. So there's something goes off in you like a tuning fork and says, that's wrong. And it's not just, yeah. I don't like it. It's objectively wrong. And that's, that should be the red flag, the alarm signal that there is a moral law embedded in your very psyche and in your very being. And it says there are objective truths out there and there is objective right and wrong because I feel it. And so yeah. the, uh, you know, it's, it's the same way where, you know, I think Lee Stroller brought this up in his book talking about everyone understands that torturing babies is wrong, right? Right. Not, not wrong because you don't like it objectively wrong, right? Right. So we all agree that something can be objectively wrong. There's got to be some other element that says there's got to be some something out there that is telling us that this is objectively wrong. You know, this yeah. is the same thing that led C.S. Lewis to his conversion of faith from atheism to Christianity or belief in God is that why did, you know, I, he couldn't believe in God because of pain and suffering. But where mm -hmm. did I get this idea that pain and suffering is wrong? Unless there was something outside of nature that told me that this is wrong. So in a sense, yeah. he was using the existence of God to prove that there was no God. <laughs> but yeah. then he had to and go I, back to the same God. I, I like what Lewis said. He said uh, he could only identify something as crooked if somewhere deep in his soul he had the concept of something that was perfectly straight. You know, something exactly. is unrighteous because we know there is something objectively righteous, which is the Lord. Now, um, I, I want to change gears, and Aaron, thanks for calling. And uh, if you have a question, folks, the number is 719-619-2341. Lauren, um, you and I were talking, I don't know, maybe it was a month ago or six weeks ago, and with the time we have left, folks, zero in, especially if you're a church leader or you, you're concerned about the declining attendance. Um, Lauren, you mentioned something that you had gone to an Orthodox church, and the focus was on the Trinity and on God. And you, you said it was so refreshing, and, and I would agree because, um, you know, myself, having traveled to more than 2,000 churches, and I'll be on the road, and even if I'm not speaking on a Sunday morning, I will try to go to church somewhere on a Sunday morning. And so often, uh, and I'm not bashing the American church, but so often churches like motivational messages or self-help, and it's me, and how can God enhance my life experience? And Lauren, you mentioned that you had gone to uh, an Orthodox church, and it was just completely about God, adoring this, well, the Lord. My, well, you know, my husband is Greek Orthodox. We were married in the Greek Orthodox Church, so we spend frequently yeah. Holy Week uh, in church. Um, they do, mm -hmm. uh, it's a huge, you know, process because it charts Jesus's journey from Palm Sunday, I mean, he, where he's heralded as a hero, and things quickly mm -hmm. change, of course. And the Greek Orthodox Church marks those days every day of the week. So we try to go to church every day of the week to really understand the process of the passion. 
But one thing that is so is so obvious when you go to an Orthodox church in those ceremonies and those services is that it's not about you. It's about Jesus. The Amen. prayers, the, the chanting, the prayers. You say a lot of the prayers in the Greek Orthodox Church, I would say all of them really, are about getting your brain off of you and onto Christ. He is the light of the world. It's not, you know, the, you know, Timothy Keller talked about, you know, I talked about this in my book, and uh, the, you know, the difference between God as a concept and God as a living reality. And a concept is something you certainly believe in, you know, but it's like your credit card, your library card, you know, um, my gym membership. You have it to serve you, and you dictate how it will be serving you, right? I'm sorry, mm -hmm. there's a siren going off around here. That's God as a oh, concept. But God as a living reality is that you must shape your life to the reality of God. The reality mm -hmm. of God. And if you don't know what the reality of God is, then you have to find out what that is. J.I. Packer in his book, Knowing God, talks about you really can't know yourself until you know God. You can't understand who you are unless you really go to the source, go to the creator who created you. Then you understand who you are. I mean, I'm searching, I'm searching. Well, you know what? What are you searching for? If you don't know that who made you, then maybe that's the step you need to take. But the idea is that we really can't truly know ourselves until we know God. And so this idea that is God a concept to you or is God a living reality? Everything yeah. about everything about this world is about putting God first because you have to understand who the God is. It, it totally shapes your life. Sin is, and this, in the understanding of sin, this is, I think, where a lot of young people, a lot of this generation, kind of, kind of, get the wrong idea. Their idea of sin is that I messed up or I missed the mark or something like that. It's just very, it's very, um, you know, noncommittal. It's not. There's nothing, you know. It's a personality just, quirk. It's just a thing. But yeah. sin is putting yourself in the place of God. Sin is putting yourself where God only deserves to be. And it's mm -hmm. like, imagine the, a wheel of a bicycle, and you've got that spoke in the center. And the wheel right. goes around, and the bike is able to travel because the spoke is right in the center where it should be. If you take it out of the center, and you make some of those spokes shorter than others, then the bike goes long. Yeah. It's like this. That's what sin does to us. And it can be almost innocuous things. We can actually create, make good things into sinful things if we make them our, our foundational choices, our foundational trusts. Mm. I can make anything a God if I give it my all and if I serve it. The only thing we should be serving is God. And then that will put everything else in perspective. You know, I love my cats, but if they become, you know, God to me, then my life is just out of balance. I love my yeah. husband, but if he comes God to me, then my life is out of balance. You know, I can't love him the way he really needs to be loved. The best thing you can do for the people in your life is to love God first. And then only then can you love them really properly. And C.S. Lewis talked about this where you not only love that person better because you love God, because now you can see them in all of their glory as being image bearers. And you can also forgive them and, and of their, of, of, you know, 
their little sinful things that they do because you see them more the way God sees them. You see inside of them. And, you know, it, they're not your God anymore. I just, the, the presence of God in many ways is just so subtle in your life. It's just so subtle. But at the same time, it can be a revelation. And that's the beauty of this world. That's the beauty of this creator. Yeah. Well, and, and I want to say this to everybody that's in leadership in a church. And uh, Lauren, you feel free to, you know, agree or disagree. But uh, everybody's asking. I mean, I get this email, you know, almost every day of the week. How can we grow our church attendance? You know, we, we're plateaued or declining. Folks, let me encourage you, not only in your church, but even in your personal devotions, make it about God. Make your preaching and your teaching and your your devotional uh, theocentric, uh, like you and I were talking about about the Greek Orthodox, um, because um, if you'll forgive me, folks, I I want to interject something because I think something I get this a lot from Hugh Ross, uh, who is head of Seasons Reasons to Believe. He is a scientist who created the website for understanding science and faith. He says one of the one of the greatest problems for young people is that they have questions, deep questions about science and about God together that a lot of many times the church can't, under, can't, can't answer or a pastor can't answer. I would say that they really need to make a concerted effort to understand how science and God are actually together. They should never ignore mm-hmm. those questions. There's no, there's no technology out there that is surprising to God. There's no scientific discovery that's, in, that's a surprise to God. You know, it's just not. And so pastors need to get young people involved by by either teaching them or having the answers to these questions or knowing where they they can go um, to find the answers to these questions. They should be able to answer the questions that every young person comes to their church and has. Uh, And, you know, if, if if you don't want them to have sex outside of marriage, then you need to be talking about why that's important. There are practical reasons why that's important. But just to say, don't do it, it just sounds authoritarian. It's not going to convince them. So I just think that it, when you apply, I have I have done I've grown more in churches when they just simply apply the scripture to everyday life. You know, yeah. I think that's it's the it's the preaching and teaching. I'm not gonna, I'm not going to say anything disparaging about somebody's teaching or preaching. I just think that they have to apply to people's lives and they have to answer these questions about science because that's one of the things that that young people in particular want to know. You know, uh, uh, a moment or two ago, Lauren, you mentioned Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge Him and He will direct your path. Uh, It's a fundamental human question. What should I do with my life? What is my purpose? Um, what's wrong with the world? Um, where is history going? Uh, why is there pain and suffering? The thing, like you say, a- answering the questions that young people are asking. Folks, this is, in my opinion, the beauty of the what we call the biblical worldview, because the scriptures, they answer the big questions. They, they comprehensively answer I think all of the big fundamental human questions, they're corroborated by compelling lines of evidence. If you will take it to heart, it really is very fulfilling. Uh, Lauren, I think what we have here really is a great opportunity. We have a grand opportunity because this this generation all around us, they're, they're no different 
so much than anybody else. We're human beings. We have these questions. We have these longings. We have these desires to know things. And I just think that you and I, we're living in this golden age of biblical worldview and apologetics. My goodness, there's everybody from C.S. Lewis to Oz Guinness to Eric Metaxas to Lee Strobel to Lauren Green. Uh, <laughs> and we've got the greatest mess. I, I mean, really. Uh, we, I, mean, I think I, you're, you're totally right, because one of the things that people don't realize is how much people kind of went along with the Christian culture that was just seeped into um, American life. And no one really understood deep theological questions because it's, oh, I believe in God. Yeah, I believe, you know, they had a reference for God. And then comes, you know, the sexual revolution and the, uh, the, the, the questioning authority and all of those things. And all of a sudden, people didn't have answers to the big questions of why I should believe in anything. And there's other thing that I think that a lot of the, 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 the Protestant churches kind of did. They sort of took the mystery and the mysticism out of Christianity and the miracles and that court of sort of soured it as well. But I do think that we have this incredible opportunity with all of the apologetics, with all the science, with all of the, um, the literature that's there and the discoveries that are there to actually help people learn about this faith. If you're mm -hmm. not worshiping God, you're worshiping something. And the idea that you should be, you know, you're, you're afraid of, you know, religion because it's just too strict and everything. I mean, you know, you're going to be worshiping something, you know, this yeah. idea that, 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 you know, I'm okay the way I am. It's like, well, maybe you are for a while and maybe your money can keep you satisfied for a while. But at some point, you know, you're going to have questions about what life is about. All yeah. religion answers the question of, 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 of destiny, origin, morality and purpose. Yes. All religions answer those questions. Now, you have to answer those questions tacitly if you don't believe in God, if you don't believe mm -hmm. in anything. So how is your career going to be part of your your destiny or your purpose in life? You know? Yeah. Um, and even it's like say, well, I don't believe in in doctrine. I don't believe that you have to believe this certain things. I believe that every good person will just be saved. Well, that is a doctrine. It's called the doctrine of good works. That is a doctrine. Mm. So you can't escape doctrine. You're going to have to live by one, no matter what. Uh, I'm going to see if we can get one more question in. Frank from Missouri, if you're still holding, uh, welcome to Truth and Liberty. Frank, thanks for holding. You're on with our guest, Lauren Green. Hey, Frank, are you there? Frank from Missouri. Well, I'm not sure we could do it justice. We've only got a, a couple of minutes left. Uh, folks, uh, if you're just tuning in, we've been talking with Lauren Green. Lauren is the author of the book Lighthouse Faith. And Lauren, you know, it seems like every time you and I converse, I, I talk to you about how you write about music theory. We could do a whole show on that because, wow. uh, listen, I'm really, really into math. And I think one of the great untapped arguments for God's existence is mathematics, which overlaps heavily with music theory. May we, the next time we talk, folks, this is a, a teaser for maybe a future broadcast. May we have a show and let's talk about God and music theory. Can we do that someday? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. You know, the last part of my book was all about music and music theory. But one of the things that's very, very important for people to remember is that God will always speak to you 
in a language that you will understand. And it's not always yeah. by the ear, but it will speak to you through whatever you understand God to be in terms of, you know, God spoke to me really, really very strongly through music. That was the first Amen. thing. But, but for other people, it'll be architecture. It'll be science. You know, they'll find something, you know, like you, you know, you know about, you know, J. Warner Wallace, who was a mm. cold case detective, an atheist, who then became, he used his forensic skills to try to debunk yeah. Christianity and came away a believer. So God will speak to you in whatever profession you are in, in whatever interest you have, God will speak to you and you will know it's God speaking to you. Amen. And, you know, there's an old hymn that says, I love to tell the story. Uh, for those who know it best, seem hungering and thirsting to hear it like the rest. And when in scenes of glory, I sing the new, new song, twill be the old, old story that I have loved so long. Uh, it is not to be trite, not to be superficial, but the love of Jesus, folks, it is the greatest story ever told. And we hope it's your story as well. Lauren Green, I want to say thank you tonight for being with us on Truth and Liberty. But even more important, thank you uh, for what you do for our nation and for viewers and readers everywhere. You show them Jesus, and I commend you. You are just so gracious and, and kind, Alex. I love talking with you. I love having you on my podcast. I just love talking with you. And we have great conversations. I love you know, sitting down and having dinner with you and, and, and Angie. So it's just really wonderful. And I thank you for asking me to be on this show. I really appreciate it. So such a blessing. Well, indeed, uh, blessings to you and to your family. And again, if you go to the Fox website, Fox News, and uh, put her name in the space bar, you can find the Lighthouse Faith podcast, her brand new devotional book, which I highly recommend. I've got it, Truth for today. It's Lauren Green of Fox News. Folks, light tell somebody about truth. Light it's for light today. for today. I'm sorry. Light, L-I-G-H-C, light for today. Tell somebody about Truth and Liberty, the website truthandliberty.net, but most importantly, tell somebody about Jesus. Thank you for joining today's Truth and Liberty livecast. You can watch today's and past livecasts in our archives at truthandliberty.net. Our goal is to educate Christians and connect them with resources and organizations to help them impact their sphere of influence. You can help us accomplish this by making a donation at truthandliberty.net slash donate. Join us next time for more Truth and Liberty.